Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Tooth and Claw. On this one, Wes tells of another grizzly bear attack story, this one taking place in Yellowstone National Park. So let's not waste any more time and get right to it. Hey everyone, welcome back to Tooth and Claw Podcast. Uh, Hi Wes. Hey Jeff. Hey Mike, you there? Yeah. We're Tooth and Claw Podcast. We talk about animal attacks here. I'm a wildlife biologist. I've worked with mostly bears for the last 10 years. Prove it. Um, I don't have my degree on me, but I still need to get that for you. But the point in this podcast was like, I've always been fascinated by animal attacks, like a lot of other people out there. But I felt like there, you know, we felt like there wasn't really a great way to tell those stories without demonizing the animals. But then we kind of put it together that you can tell them and you can uh, learn a lot from these kind of stories. And they're really fascinating without demonizing the animals and actually with kind of in some ways demonizing the humans sometimes and showing how humans are often the ones doing something wrong and the animals just displaying natural behavior. So that's kind of the point of this podcast is to be able to tell those stories in a way that isn't detrimental to the animals. And so far, so good, I think, you know, I, I think yeah, we definitely not have some, canceled yet. No, not canceled yet. We definitely have some people that are more afraid of animals. But, you know, maybe you, maybe the great outdoors just aren't for you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> at least they got some fun stories. Yeah. This episode isn't going to help with that at all, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Before we get started, I wanted to quickly bring up the Rings of Power. So we did like a little bonus episode on the Rings of Power series before it had even come out. And we talked about the trailers and kind of our anticipations and, and how we were feeling around it. And now there's been three episodes out, and I kind of just wanted to check in with you guys real quick and see what you think. Like, what do you think of the show? Uh, yeah, I like it more than The Hobbit. Yeah. That's kind of where we guessed it would be. I think it's been pretty solid. I like yeah. the new House of the Dragon more, though. I do like that show a lot, too. And Cobra Kai's back out. <laughs> Let's just name shows we like more than it. That's still going? I thought it... Yeah. Uh, Hmm. That's, that Jeff's one? Die, that's Jeff's diehard show. That's the show that he binges the day it comes out. I watched the... I, what What season was the finale where the guy falls off the banister and, like, dies? It's the first season. Yeah. No, that's not. It's not? No, it's second. Oh, okay. I watched that episode, and I didn't acknowledge to myself out loud that I would never watch that show again, but I think something inside me was like, <laughs> I think I'm done here. <laughs> Uh, what's your favorite? Uh, you missed some good stuff. What's your favorite storyline going on in the Rings of Power, Jeff? Uh, I was hoping you'd say Cobra Kai. Um, <laughs> we could. I slip. really, I really like the. <laughs> just a Cobra Kai <laughs> review now. Uh, I really like the mines with the dwarves. How's I thought that doing? part was sweet. I really like Elrond, the project manager, <laughs> kind of thing going on. It's just like He's you're going to build a huge forge. For us, dude, yeah, he looks like for, a total Mormon. Whoever yeah, that guy is, he does. <laughs> <laughs> well, so does Kella Brimbor too. Uh, I didn't think the one dude looked like Skip Bayless. Mike texts me like one oh, guy looks like does. Skip Bayless. Oh, he totally I think does. He does. <laughs> um, I've been Mike. Why don't you say first what you've thought of it, and then I will. Yeah. So I I'm actually pretty surprised at how much I'm enjoying it, and now how excited I am for each episode to come out, especially after episode three. 
The weird thing is that all of the stuff that I thought I would be enjoying, I kind of don't. And all the stuff that I thought I wouldn't be enjoying is by far my favorite stuff. I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. I when I first watched the first two episodes, I was I was like a little underwhelmed. And then I watched the third episode and just absolutely loved it. Like had the best time getting to Numenor and like having the orcs really make their main appearance. And like the warg was really cool. I kind of like that a lot of the creature design is like creepier and scarier because these were like things that Morgoth like created so they would be really gross looking and scary. I just, I don't know. I've been a big fan so far. I think it's really beautiful and I just think the casting's been spot on. But yeah, so for me, there's a few things that I still don't love, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm finding myself really looking forward to each new episode pleasantly surprised i'm with jeff like it's above the hobbit and below the peter jackson lord of the rings series uh one more thing before we jump into the episode real quick okay so more entertainment nfl starts today oh sports so, corner. football just a quick fantasy corner we're in fantasy okay. corner fantasy land lord of the rings yeah so i'm keeping yeah. it in fantasy corner <laughs> okay all right. So I had my league that I played like all my friends by myself last year where like I just had like oh, them yeah. do the computer draft and I was like playing teams with my friends names, but none of my friends would play with me. Uh huh. So this year I got four of them back in. So then on my Instagram, I was like, does anyone else want to play fantasy football in my league? And like 10 people responded right away. And I sent them all an invite to it. So then, like, I wasn't thinking. So then, like, five of them filled it right away. And then the other five were like, hey, it's full. Like, what the hell? So then I made a new league and added them to that. And then all these other people started saying they wanted to play. And I ended up filling 12 spots in that league. Uh-huh. And then I did the exact same thing where I sent out too many invitations to like other people who wanted to play. So uh-huh. I made another league <laughs> and I filled that league up too. So we got a bunch of Tooth and Claw listeners playing fantasy Jeff's gonna... football with me this year. How many leagues are you in? I'm the manager of three and then a listener invited me to their league. So I'm in <laughs> four total. I just picture Jeff in front of a console with like 10 monitors. And he's just like yeah, mission all over the mission place. control. <laughs> yeah. Well, after that like thing last year with the other listener who invited me to his league, I know oh, I where can you just, ruined like, life on friendships as commissioner. And yeah, just like change my points after I play people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, I just shout out to all you fans for wanting to play fantasy football with me. That was that was really nice, and it's gonna <laughs> be know. fun. Jeff didn't have many friends in middle school, so it's nice to see him finally overcompensating. That's <laughs> very true. Um, all right. Well, I think we're going to get into our story. This is, I'm just going to, you know, we don't do this that often. I will say this one is maybe one that should come with a little bit of a warning that there's some pretty gory stuff oh, in this one. Oh, baby. Um, that's it's what I not like as, to hear before you start an episode. Yeah, it's not quite as bad as some of ours, um, but there like is what? some stuff like the chimpanzee episode or mm. Cynthia Dussel Bacon. Um, mm. But it's pretty bad, and there there's some gory some gory details. So if you do have small children, 
Uh, just, you know, it's up to you if you want them to listen to that. Or no, not. we need we need the yeah, listeners. Have them listen. Yeah. We want to get them young. Yeah, get them young. Exactly. So, yeah, let them listen. They'll be okay. They'll be okay. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So today we're going to be talking about Brigida Friedenhagen, um, which is a really fun name to say. Yeah, uh, so this is a story that I work in Yellowstone National Park with bears. Um, this takes place. This takes place in Yellowstone National Park and involves a grizzly bear. <laughs> and this taste? was, a, uh, it doesn't this taste that great. great. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a story that when I started working in the park, I would constantly hear coworkers say, "Oh, Brigida," and they would bring her up, and it was kind of like with this reverence almost. Because of how gnarly the circumstances. They didn't say her last name. No, uh, people would say Friedenhagen too, because it's fun to say. Mm. But um, it was it was a story that was kind of always like brought up because of its significance for the park, and it's something that I didn't really know much about until recently. And uh, I want to bring up my sources. One of them is called "Taken by Bear in Yellowstone." You know, One they should have just named it "Taken." <laughs> Yeah, they actually already have that, though, Jeff. That's a movie. This book's called Taken by Bear in Yellowstone, More Than a Century of Harrowing Encounters Between Grizzlies and Humans. It's by Kathleen Snow. Um, they could have done Taken 2. They could have. Oh, no, they can't, actually. That's also Taken 3. Uh, nope. <laughs> All right. My other source for this is just personal communications with people that were working in the park uh, when this happened. I am lucky to be privy to some like really insider information on this kind of stuff. Oh, nice. And so, yeah, so I did get to a lot of details that weren't published. Um, really? Okay. So, yeah. Well, some details. That's exciting. Yeah. All right. So before I start the story, I want to take you guys back to a morning in June of this year. Okay. I'm sleeping in my house in Mammoth, and it's the height of elk calving season. So elk are dropping their calves, and when a female elk has a calf, she'll kind of just like stash it in some sagebrush or something because it takes a while for that calf to really be uh, mobile and to be able to run around on its like new legs and everything. They're not an animal that's just immediately mobile. So she'll stash them somewhere where it's hard to find them, and Does then she'll the patrol the area. Like, kind of mask the scent of the new elk. Maybe a little bit, but. Um, okay. But bears are still pretty good at finding them. So she'll kind of patrol the area and try and keep predators away. But when bears find them, it's not much that she can do, and they'll eat them. And they eat a lot of elk calves in the spring. So on this particular morning, we're in the height of elk calving season, and I wake up to screams of an elk calf. Like in my house in Mammoth in Yellowstone, I hear an elk calf being killed. And I hear the mom like kind of screaming too. And she, and I can, I look out my window and I see an elk on like a hill near my house running around. So I get ready quickly and I go into work and sure enough, like, like one of my coworkers picks me up in my truck as I'm walking to my office and he's like, Hey, there's an elk calf being killed right behind your house. And so we drive over there and there's a big male grizzly sitting on this elk calf and the elk calf is screaming and you can see it's like head picking up and it's like screaming and screaming and the bear doesn't oh, care at all. It's just sitting there and it keeps putting its head down and like ripping off like, like sometimes you see it in movies where there's Ew. like long pieces of like muscle and stuff like stretching out and tendon and stuff. And it's doing that. It's just stripping this elk calf down piece by piece. Like a fruit roll and, up. Yeah. While it's alive. And 
we it was too close to town so we had to haze that bear off of that calf by the time we got to it it was dead um and then we went and took it somewhere else where bears could eat it in peace but um it was such a visceral thing for me like seeing yeah, a live animal being killed by a bear so closely um that that image really stuck in my head and it's not like it it didn't traumatize me in any way like i'm a big fan of the web of life and predators and everything but it did it did stick in my head and it was one of the first times that i had up close seen a grizzly bear kill something that was still alive and it's an image that unfortunately i kind of want you guys to keep in your head during this story um oh, which is grim but just yeah anyway a bunch okay. of listeners wrote in and told me babies only have one type of cry after our dingo that's not true said, so. <laughs> that's not true <laughs> no they all, right. all told me that i was wrong yeah so that okay. elk was really screaming huh it was it wasn't having a good time um all right so 150 years ago in 1872 President Ulysses S. Grant signed the Yellowstone National Park Protection Act, and he made Yellowstone the first national park in the U.S., likely the first national park in the world. It's a really special place. It spans 3,468 square miles. That area is roughly the size of Delaware and Rhode Island combined. So Yellowstone Mm. is like the size of two U.S. states. So Um, what is that? Like... 3,468 3, square miles. Yeah, I don't know how many buses. Not it's a, a lot more buses. than that. How much of it yeah. is in Montana and how much of it is in Wyoming? The majority of it is in Wyoming. Uh, that's um, interesting to me. Be- because the two main entrances <laughs> are in Montana, like the Gardner entrance and the West Yellowstone entrance. You guys like to a say lot it's of the, Montana. A lot of the revenue for the park ends up going to Montana. Because of those two, that fact. How does Wyoming okay. feel about that? Are they pretty sore. They I'd probably don't love it. It's funny in Salt Lake. They always have like big billboards saying like visit yeah. Montana, and it's a picture of like a hot pool in Wyoming. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it, like we get the money from people go like traveling from Utah to that spot. So it that's pisses me that that always kind of makes me mad because there's so much good stuff in Montana. Like we don't need to use something from Wyoming. Yeah, but I get it. Um. All right, so it's famous for geothermal features. It contains over 500 active geysers, as well as lots of hot springs, mud pots, fumaroles. 500's too many geysers. That's a lot of geysers. It's equally famous for its abundant wildlife. Uh, Visitors to Yellowstone have a really good chance of seeing bison, elk, pronghorn, deer, bears, coyotes, wolves, black bears, grizzly bears. I already said bears. Pretty much Uh, 100% for bison. Pretty much. If you don't see a bison, I don't know. You're not trying very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the park currently sees almost 5 million people each year that visit. That's led to really crowded campsites, roadways, and boardwalks. Uh, visitors that are looking for a quieter and kind of a wilder experience can go into Yellowstone's backcountry. And there's around 1,000 miles of trails in the park. Uh, so there's really ample opportunities for getting out away from the crowds and experiencing a really different side of Yellowstone. I've, in my job, been lucky enough to go into the backcountry quite a bit. And it is really a special place. Like it feels very wild and there's lots of really cool things that you see in the back country that you'd never see in the front country. Um, so that's exactly what Brigida Friedenhagen was hoping to find when she arrived in Yellowstone on July 28th, 1984. 
The 24-year-old woman from Basel, Switzerland, had a deep fascination with the American West, and she'd traveled to Denver to meet her brother and sister-in-law, and then the trio drove up through Grand Teton National Park and into Yellowstone. So she's there with her brother and her sister-in-law. They're from Switzerland. They're really excited to be there. Meanwhile, a few hundred miles away in Missoula, baby Wes is just starting to get weaned off his mom's breast milk. He's completely (laughs) helpless and a tiny drooling idiot, but not really dumber than most babies of that age. So, you know, only uh, has one cry. I've been watching (laughs) The Boys lately, and Homelander doesn't really seem to have ever gotten over the weaning phase. Makes you wonder. Yeah, he loves breast milk. Maybe you could get back into it, Wes. I don't No, I don't think so. Bring it up with Cindy. (laughs) Gross. Oh, you want me to bring it up with her? That might be a little less awkward. <laughs> so, we're going back to Yellowstone. Um, the trio f- spent their first three days, or their first two days in the park, exploring the geyser basins and the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone, where the Yellowstone Falls is. Uh, it's really beautiful. And during that time, Brigida obtained a backcountry camping permit from the Canyon Ranger Station. So the ranger that helped her with her permit was James Youngblood, and he described Brigida as a pretty petite oh, girl. Sweet. That was somewhere around 5'4", 120 pounds with dark shoulder length hair, blue jeans, a knit pullover sweater, and a bubbly personality. What's sweet? Youngblood is his name? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is a good name. You were saying you'd want some young people blood in our last Patreon episode. Oh, I did say that, didn't I? Yeah, if they're going to pump if me full old blood, guys, I want it to be baby blood. That's a weird name for like an old guy, though. Youngblood? Yeah, that is. I don't think I don't know if he was old. It just says he's but a ranger. He will be one day. Yeah, that's true. Who knows? Maybe he'll die young. <laughs> they and all die I'll, young. Then I can young then blood. I can take his blood. All right. So she spoke near perfect English, and the two looked over the map of potential backcountry campsites. Ranger Youngblood wrote Brigida a permit for site five B one on the astringent Broad Creek Trail in Pelican Valley. So that campsite would be in Broad Creek, which is a really pretty, like, forested area of the Pelican Have Valley. Have you been there? Uh, I haven't, but I probably will this fall. Um, mm. It's one of the wildest parts of Yellowstone, and it's one of the places with the best chances of seeing native wildlife, including grizzly bears. Um, Ranger Youngblood knew this. He knew that there was a good chance of seeing grizzly bears, and he gave Brigida detailed information on bear safety and general safety in the backcountry. He warned her that the bears in Yellowstone are dangerous and that she should not approach them. She should hang all her food from a tree and away from the campsite and that she shouldn't keep any food in her tent or around her campsite. He also warned her that it was dangerous to travel alone and that she may not want to hike in the park if she was on her period, which we're going to talk about that at length later. So just kind of put a pin in that for now. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the part he warned our listeners about. That's not necessarily. <laughs> no. Okay, so the grizzlies of Yellowstone are generalist omnivores. So a generalist omnivore is an animal that essentially will eat anything. Um, like a, a specialist omnivore would be one that like specializes in a certain type of food. A generalist omnivore is going to eat lots of different things. So grizzlies in Yellowstone have a lot of different food sources to choose from. They eat over 266 species of plants, invertebrates, mammals, fish, and fungi. So that's a lot of species. There's a lot of different things that they eat. Uh, So 266. They're one of the populations of grizzlies that eat the highest number of ungulates, mostly bison and elk. I like Uh, that. That makes me, like, just proves they're a good favorite animal to have, you know? Yeah, because they're good at everything. They try any food. Yeah. And that's always a good quality to be, like... 
kind of yeah. diversified in what you yeah. eat, you know? An, an adventurous eater. No one yeah. likes a picky yeah. eater. I ate a tuna heart last week that was still beating. That was, That's why I like you. In, yeah, thanks. Um, still beating. All right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the fisherman just cut it right out of the tuna and handed it to me. Uh, How was right. it? It was good. It just tasted chewy and kind of fishy and meaty. Um, Did you feel primal? Yeah, I felt like I was... That night when I fell asleep, I turned into a tuna. I was going to ask. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh-huh. What do you? What abilities so, do you get if you I like... I that. Really? Just like, I don't... You just be swim, a tuna can, in my dream? That would be <laughs> sweet, dude. Seems Unless like you're on land. The only thing tunas are good at, tuna is probably the plural, uh-huh. is just like getting yeah. caught in a net accidentally. No, dude, they're, they're, they're fast athletes. as hell. They're fast. They yeah. eat fish. Yeah, they're not really good. Fast enough to not You'd get like decimated by every, humanity. You swim every single day. You wouldn't want to be like ten times faster. Why would I? I swim enough. All right, Mike's happy with his swimming ability. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so they eat a lot of ungulates in the early spring when they first come out of hibernation. They're mostly going to be looking for winter-killed elk and bison, so bison and elk that died during the winter, and they're going to spend a lot of their time feeding on those carcasses as well as carcasses of ungulates killed by wolves. Um, this they can is eat, spe- like, rotting meat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know that better than anyone. Well, um, the listeners not, might not, so I got to okay. oh, yeah. ask Good questions point. for them, you know? When me and Jeff were trapping, we'd have to cut up rotten meat every couple days. And the Jeff most would disgusting to, thing in the world. Jeff would have to stand back while I did it. I helped uh, out. Yeah, but you would also dry heave and stuff. All right, so this is, like, this carcass feeding in the spring is especially true for the big males. They'll come out of hibernation relatively early to take advantage of that food source. Throughout the rest of the year, their best they have four main food sources that are like their cash crops. That's ungulates, uh, so like elk and bison, white bark pine nuts, army cutworm moths, and cutthroat trout. Those are their like four big things that they rely on. Ungulate feeding hits a peak in late spring and early summer when elk calves are being born. Uh, both species of bears are really good at killing those elk calves, and roughly 50% of elk calves in Yellowstone die from bears each year. Um, wow. It's a really cool time of the year to be in the park because if you pay attention, yeah, fifty percent. Like I saw, I That's probably crazy. saw, I probably saw ten different elk calves get killed this spring. And I, how many calves do does a mom have? Just one. Oh, some every once in a while they'll have two, but they get picked off like crazy. Bears are eating like popcorn. Yeah, um, grizzlies in Yellowstone <laughs> also eat, <laughs> they eat a lot of different plant species. But they aren't great at digesting plant materials, so they only eat certain types of plants and certain parts of plants. So for this reason, you see grizzlies following something that we call the green wave. So when plants start like growing in the lower parts of the park in the spring, grizzlies will be there eating them. And then as like as the spring progresses, those plants are going to be blooming and growing higher and higher and higher in elevation. And the grizzlies just kind of follow that progress up into higher elevations. Mm. Um and then as summer really progresses, they switch to eating lots of berries, as well as white bark pine nuts, which are historically one of their best food sources, but they're losing that source quickly um, with climate change. But that's also like an interesting way they exploit that food source is they wait for squirrels just to like go and get all these pine nuts. And the squirrels will like set aside just thousands of pine nuts for the winter in their middens. A midden is like the little ideal their they little tuck everything gloves into. that they're wearing keep their hands warm yeah. <laughs> and then i knew both of you would make that joke uh midden with d not not t and then the bears no, will midden. go and they 
All right. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> the bears will go and they dig up those middens and they eat all of the pine nuts. I was thinking about the show alone. Uh-huh. And like I would just follow every squirrel in my yeah. area to their tree and try to find a tree full of nuts. Yeah. That's what bears do. And they they like get a lot of protein and food from that. Um so Sucks for a squirrel, though, if you're like, you spend the entire summer setting aside a food source and then a grizzly bear just eats it all in like a matter of 20 minutes. Um, Another big food source for them is army cutworm moths. So it's a species of moth that hides under rocks. And in the late summer, uh, hundreds, actually midsummer, hundreds of grizzly bears will appear on these talus slopes in high mountain peaks. And they spend their entire day just flipping rocks and just licking up hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of moths. Um, they're really high Sounds in protein. Like you. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It sounds like me in third grade. <laughs> mm. um, you guys want to hear something funny? I did that podcast Fright Day with my friend. Um, oh, yeah. And we talked about the beast thing. And she was my friend back then. And without me prompting her, she brought up the fact that we used to eat bugs. Oh, no <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'm pretty sure you made me eat bugs back in the day. And I was like, oh, boy. Uh (laughs) Opened a whole can of worms with that comment. Is that what you said? (laughs) I should have said that, but I didn't. I guess worms Uh, are worms bugs. Yeah, they're they're invertebrates. They're not. I don't know. You could count them as bugs. So that joke isn't funny. No, it's funny. I'll cut it. Good joke, Mike. No, keep that one. Nope. Uh, Cutthroat trout are another really important food source for them. Uh, they really? used to be really important, but in certain parts of the park, uh, native cutthroat trout are now really hard to find and they don't use spawning streams like they used to. Uh, but a lot of those spawning streams are starting to see more trout in them and bears are starting to feed on them again. Huh. Um, so a couple more things about grizzlies in Yellowstone. So for all don't parties, use spawning streams like they used to. They People sure don't. either. Yep. I don't know what that means, but yeah, last sure. time I went to a, a hot pot. There's some spawning going on, if you catch my drift. Oh, are they starting to use them again? Yeah, I think so. Okay, good. All right, so for all park (laughs) visitors combined, the chances of being injured by a grizzly bear are approximately 1 in 2.7 million visits. So out of every 2.7 million visits to the park, one person gets injured by a bear. So that that means like two a year. It comes out to roughly one a year. Um, You said 5 million people visit the park a year. Yeah, I don't know why. We tell everyone it's roughly one a year. But okay. You understand so, yeah. my I do understand where, that I'm contradicting I'm myself right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um I think it's we'll because just put in re- out there we don't know what that means. Exactly. In recent years we've had more visitors and less bear injuries. So I think okay. that's like it's I like just averaging think, out yeah. historically. This risk is significantly lower for people who don't leave developed areas or roadsides. So if you're just like walking boardwalks and driving the road, you're really unlikely to be hurt by a bear. And it's much higher for anyone in the backcountry. So I'm going to break that down really quick. If you remain in developed areas, roadsides, and boardwalks, it's one in 59.5 million visits that people get attacked by a bear. Uh, If you camp in a roadside campground, it's one in 26.6 million overnight stays. If you camp in the backcountry, it's one in 1.7 million overnight stays. And if you hike in the backcountry, it's one in 232,613 personal travel days. Mm. So your chances of being hurt by a bear 
do go up significantly if you're in the backcountry. That's just kind of how it works. But only in the history of Yellowstone National Park, only eight people have ever been killed by grizzly bears. So That's it's it? not, yep, just eight. Get after it's it, not many. bears. <laughs> Slacking. <laughs> All right, and I'm going to talk a little bit about why that might be a little later. Um, Okay, so Brigida had her permit in hand for the next night, July 30th, 1984, and as she and her brother and sister-in-law settled into their campground at Norris Geyser Basin that night, they talked about their plans for the next day. And their plan was the three would hike the roughly six miles to the Astringent Creek Bridge together, where Brigida would then continue on to her campsite at Broad Creek alone. After camping one night alone, On the 31st, she would then hike a trail that would connect back to the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone, where she would meet up with her brother and sister-in-law. So on Monday, July 30th, the the trio arrives at Pelican Valley Trailhead around 11 a.m., and about 100 feet into their hike, they're reminded just how wild Yellowstone can be. They see a large orange placard, and it warns about grizzly bear activity on the trail. And Brigida had read about the bears of Yellowstone, and she knew that the key to avoiding problems with bears was creating plenty of noise. And she even tied two bear bells to her backpack in an effort to scare off any bears. Uh Okay, so she's good. Uh She's not good. So we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast. For a long time, people thought that bear bells, like, for those of you who don't know what a bear bell is, it's essentially like, picture a bell that Santa Claus has on one of his reindeer. Um, That's like what a bear bell is. And people will tie shoes. Yeah, exactly. People will tie those to their backpacks and they think that little tinkling noise is enough to scare off bears or warn bears that they're coming. And it's not. There's been studies that have proven that it's not. There's no biological significance to that noise. Bears don't really recognize it as anything. It's just kind of an extra noise that they tune out. Dinner Um, bells. Yep. So we call them dinner bells sometimes because it gives people this false sense of confidence and they're maybe not making other noise that would actually scare off a bear. Yeah. Um, what if you had just enormous bells? Just that might work. Huge one. Yeah. Like church bells. <laughs> I think that, that work, could right? possibly do it. Yeah. All right. So, um, Brigida was an experienced hiker. Her strong legs carried her really confidently through these vast meadows and wildflowers and pine forests of the Pelican Valley. The three family members chatted throughout their hike And then really quickly, they get to the junction of Astringent Creek and Broad Creek. And not knowing that it would be the last time they would ever see each other, Brigida's brother and sister confirmed their plans to meet the next day, but changed those plans now just to meet at the trailhead that they'd started on. They gave her a quick hug, and they watched as she hiked into the woods to the north alone. The two then hiked back down the way they came, and as they got to the rental car at the Pelican Valley trailhead, they saw that storm clouds were gathering on the northern horizon. So Brigitte's alone now. That's, um, that's bad news. Yeah. yeah. She slung a red backpack over her small frame, and she starts hiking these remaining miles to the Broad Creek backcountry sites. In her pocket, she had a guidebook that had a section warning about Pelican Valley and the particular bear danger that was there. And it said, if the thought of viewing a grizzly bear isn't especially attractive to you, then maybe you should consider a different area. Grizzly bears are drawn to the Pelican Valley for its relatively lush plant growth of grass sedges and forbs uh i'm gonna apologize midway through this episode i'm a little congested today i feel like my voice sounds a little weird you sound good bruh thanks dude okay i will say we set up trail cameras in the pelican valley like we put out remote cameras to count grizzly bears and whatnot and it is one of the places where we get the most activity on our cameras we see a lot of bears 
in the valley. Um, my main boss, Carrie Gunther, who's been like the bear guy in Yellowstone for a, over 30 years, he like did his master's project. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in Pelican Valley, where he was just essentially counting bears from this mountain peak in the middle of the valley. And there he saw a lot of bears. There's a lot of bears in this valley. Okay. So when Brigida got to White Lake, she made a decision that might have cost her everything. She'd arrived at backcountry campsite 5W1 at White Lake, and her campsite 5B1 at Broad Creek was still three and a half miles away. But no one was in this campsite that she'd just gotten to, and the thought of venturing even further alone into this bear country was more and more unpleasant to her. So she decides to make camp at White Lake in this 5W1 campsite. And unknown to her, the White Lake area had a really strong history of bear activity and had even been closed a number of times from conflict bears that had raided campsites. So Brigida had been taking photos with their 35mm camera that whole day, and as she made camp that evening, she took one last photo of her cook stove in her fire ring about 50 feet from her tent. Um, In another really kind of unlucky twist of fate, she shouldn't have been alone in that campsite that night. There had been a party of three that had reserved the campsite, and but they had started their hike so late in the day that they just decided to camp in the lower Pelican Valley, and they didn't make it to the campsite that night. And had they, make, had they made it to the campsite, there's a good chance that Brigida would have survived the horror that that night was going to have in store for her. As she settled into the evening, she makes her dinner, she makes some tea, and the sun flies, and the sun falls the below sun the tree flies line. Flies. <laughs> <laughs> the sun flew out of the sky, burned her to death, and that's the end of the story. Uh, nope. So the sun falls below the tree line, and in the distance, she can see these gathering thunderheads. She can see faraway flashes of lightning, but she's feeling really prepared for any kind of weather that the summer might throw at her. So before going to bed, she finds two lodgepole pines about 85 feet from her campsite. She climbs up them, and she strings a rope between the two, and then she hangs her food from that rope. The process takes a while, and by the time she gets back to her tent, she's totally exhausted. She changes into some blue cotton pajamas, a sweater, and some fresh socks, and she puts her clothes that she hiked and cooked in into a plastic bag, and then she rolls that plastic bag up in her poncho. Pretty good chair safety. Yep. She gets into her mummy bag with her head near the tent door. And she actually writes in like her journal that night, I've taken all the precautions and she like lays down to sleep with her flashlight on one side of her and her cassette player on the other. She says like, I'm positive I won't be attacked by a bear. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you one thing that's not going to happen tonight, a bear attack. Yeah. It is. It's really interesting to me reading these stories. Again, I know I talk about this a lot. This was a hard one for me because there are so many details about her and about like how excited she was for this trip and how confident she was. It made me really like her. It made me think like this is a person that I probably would have really liked hiking around with and like becoming friends with. And like then seeing these tiny decisions that they made that on any given day wouldn't affect their life at all, but on that particular day might have cost them their life. Like just her deciding to put her head near her tent door, that's not a bad decision. Like if you're worried about bears, it doesn't really matter where you put your head in your tent, like they could collapse your whole tent. But for her, that ended up mattering. Or the fact that she camped in this particular campsite. Just these little things that had they done differently, they would have survived. And it's like, for me, it's like watching a horror movie when you see the person 
you know, break off from the group and decide to go explore upstairs alone. And you're just like, no, you know, that's how I feel reading these stories. And, uh, this one hit me particularly hard. Yeah. I'm hoping she just lost interest in photography is why that is the last picture she ever took. And she didn't want to talk to her brother anymore. Brother and (laughs) sister-in-law. Yeah. I'm hoping that's the only reason you said those things. Yep. She decided she lost her camera and then, because her brother and sister-in-law didn't go with him, it created a rift that lasted the rest of their lives. Um, yeah. uh, that's what yeah, I'm that's, hoping for. Yeah, cross your fingers. All right. So as she drifts to sleep, rain begins to patter on her tent fly, and lightning occasionally lits up the tent and casts brief shadows for a microsecond onto the tent wall uh, before she gets plunged into darkness again. And now not far from her tent, another shadow emerges from the woods. The grizzly bear walks cautiously toward the tent and the campsite. It's testing the air as it lumbers closer. Ever the opportunist, the bear's curious about the tent and the smells around and the potential meal inside. So with only one tent in the campsite and no apparent risks nearby, the coast is pretty clear for this bear to do some closer inspection, and it approaches the tent with the 24-year-old girl inside. Relatively quietly and quickly, the bear tears through the rainfly and then uses a single claw to rip a 27-inch gash in the tent wall to the right of the door. It sticks its massive head inside and with a single bite, grabs Brigida by the head, crushing her jawbone in the process and pulling her free from the tent and then free from the sleeping bag and carries her screaming into the dark night. That's crazy. So the next day, Did she use one claw like a freaking special agent or something? Yeah, like the little laser thing. They do that. Yeah. (laughs) They honestly, they'll do that. They'll take one claw and just like rip through a tent with them. So the next day at 3.30 p.m., Brigida's brother and sister-in-law were waiting at the trailhead. Brigida had always been especially punctual, so when she doesn't arrive at the agreed-upon time, they begin to get a little bit nervous. And then a few hours later, their anxiety is turning into like a really sharp fear. And the brother goes to the Fishing Bridge Visitor Center to tell a ranger that she had not shown up. A missing hiker alert went out park-wide, and the rangers did their best to get in touch with a backcountry ranger that was actually staying in Pelican Valley. So when they finally reach this backcountry ranger, it's 8.15 p.m., and he goes off and scours the trail until it got dark around 9.30, and he sees no sign of any hikers. So the park personnel continues to check the trailhead throughout the night just in case she shows up in the middle of the night, and Brigida's family returns to Norris for like a really sleepless night in their campsite. The next day, Brigida still had not shown up, and Ranger Mark C. Marshall was dispatched on horseback to go to her campsite. As Ranger Marshall heads towards Brigida's original campsite at Broad Creek, he runs into a hiker near the Astringent Creek Junction that had seen a large grizzly bear 15 minutes earlier that was headed south into Pelican Valley. Ranger Marshall thanks him, and he continues on the trail. As he passes the White Lake campsite, he notices a green dome tent set up in 5W1 and a red sleeping bag that was laid out in front of the tent. He thought this was pretty odd, so he rides over to investigate, and as he approaches the tent, he sees a large tear in the wall near the door. When he looks inside the tent, the sleeping pad, the parka, and the other gear were completely undisturbed. So he continues to look around the tent and the sleeping bag. Not far from the sleeping bag, Ranger Marshall finds a piece of human lip, some scalp with some hair attached to it, and some muscle tissue. So he immediately then gets on his radio and he radios the Lake Ranger station to tell them what he's found. And then he starts looking for Brigida's body. To me, like, 
I can't picture a scarier circumstance to be in in the park as like a ranger. We do respond to conflicts like the bear management office will go in and respond to this sort of thing. But if there's like a good chance that a person's been killed by a bear, we go in like packing. There'll be like six of us or more. We have rifles. We have shotguns. We have multiple cans of bear spray. I can think of scarier situations, to be honest. (laughs) It's a super volcano, Wes. Fair enough. But this, as far as like bear encounters go, a bear that's killed a human and that could likely still be there feeding on the carcass is about as scary as they come. Um, If you're like knowingly walking into that, which they didn't necessarily know that. But I think when she didn't show up for a few days, they probably thought there's a decent chance this could be Pelican Valley. She might be the super volcano got her. Yeah. And this is still an era (laughs) in the (laughs) no, this is still an era in the park when there's a lot of bear conflict, like a lot of bears that are raiding campsites and creating problems. Mm hmm. So Ranger Marshall doesn't find her body after about 20 minutes of looking, but he does find her food that she'd hung from the tree that the bear had succeeded in getting, and it had been all ripped apart. So back at Yellowstone Lake, Rangers Tim Blank and David Sprites load up some shotguns, rifles, and they get some medical equipment and other gear, and they put it all in a helicopter, and they take off for the White Lake campground site. They see Ranger Marshall from the air. They touch down near campsite 5W1 around noon on August 1st. Um, Marshall and Blank are carrying the shotguns, and Sprites has the rifle, and they start to survey the scene. So this is an attack where we don't have a witness, so it's kind of a little bit harder to piece together what actually happened. But I'm going to kind of, as a bear biologist and a bear expert and one that's looked at a lot of conflicts and attacks... I'm going to use their information of what they found to kind of piece together what I'm pretty sure happened to Brigitte Friedenhagen that night. Okay. So from the sleeping bag, the three men follow a trail of body parts leading north. Brigitte had been violently pulled from the sleeping bag after she was free of the tent, and the bear bit down into her face, neck, head, and torso. And that's evidenced by the pieces of human lip, scalp, and clumps of fat that they found heading north. Uh, the trail of carnage led to a roughly two foot by three foot patch of grass that was dark and greasy and covered in small fragments of blue cloth, as well as a lot of human tissue. So this was likely the spot where the bear stopped dragging Brigida by her head and her torso, and then started to feed on her. Um, so this dark, greasy grass indicates that there was heavy blood loss. And it's also m- most likely where Brigida died from exsanguination. So she died from blood loss in that spot. Um, I really hope she died quick because the rest is even gnarlier. Um, it had rained a lot, so the trails of this bear weren't really evident, but they found a slight trail that led past the fire ring up a small hill into some woods. And they followed this trail. They found a shredded and bloodstained sweater as well as a blue cotton pullover. Her body was 250 feet from the tent, and it was stretched out prone, so she was like laying on her stomach, with her left arm bent under her body and her right arm extended above her head. Her right foot was completely detached from the ankle, but it was lying right next to her right ankle. The skin on her arms had been peeled completely back to the shoulder, which is something grizzlies often do with their prey. Um, So I've found like elk and bison carcasses that are turned completely inside out because the bears are trying to get all the stuff inside. Yeah, you messed um, up for telling that elk story at the start. I know. Of this. I know. <laughs> most I like of the mus- 
Most of the muscle, skin, and flesh was gone from her arms, legs, buttocks, and upper torso. Uh, so, again, hearing all this, like, one just really hopes that it was over quickly for her. I think the things that she had going in her favor for that is that the bear grabbed her by the head to begin with. How do you um, know that? Because it pulled her out of the tent by her head. It's just yeah. like, it opened... Like the way her, all her gear and everything was arranged in the sleeping bag when they found it outside of the tent, they're very certain that like she had placed her tent with her head by where the bear ripped in and for it just to like go in there, it would have grabbed the first thing it would have seen, which is her head or her neck. Um, and then she also had a lot of damage to those areas that was indicative of it grabbing that first. What do you think, like, the cops and prosecution from our last dingo episodes would have thought? They would have thought that someone killed her <laughs> yeah, with like a pail of nail murder. scissors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they'd be um, like, they'd make a mold of a grizzly, yeah. grizzly mouth and be like, a human head can't fit in here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hold a bucket of dirt in their mouth. They would have talked to the brother and sister afterwards and been like, you haven't spoken to her since the attack. Sounds like there's maybe some trouble between you. <laughs> Something going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, kind of finishing my thought there, my hope is that the bear either killed her immediately um, out of the tent. Sometimes, like, they will crush like someone's skull in a tent or they'll you know do something like that that immediately kills a person if not my hope is that she bled out pretty quickly once it got her to that spot i yeah it's a terrible way to die and thinking of that elk calf really reminded me of that like it's don't get eaten by a bear do whatever you can to not get eaten by a bear because i have a really hard time thinking of many worse ways to die it's it's up there it's top five for sure um Okay, so the rain had really destroyed a lot of the bear's evidence, and they only found four tracks and very few hairs. Um, This was before the time that DNA could be tested on bears, so the color of the hair found at the site gave them some clues about which bears or bear might be responsible. Um, Numerous bear scats were found containing human remains, and uh, they found those around the campsite and then also a few miles away in a northeast direction. Um, the frequency of those scats with human tissues in them like suggested that the bear actually returned to the site a few times, that it spent some time in there eating her. Um, they were also able to get some precise canine measurements from her wounds and from uh, the bear had bit one of her aluminum pots that night, and they got a pretty good idea of how big those canines were, and that ended up being important information. So that evening, Brigida Friedenhagen's remains were flown out to Fishing Bridge Village, Her brother and sister-in-law had been notified that her body had been found. The rangers invited them into their own housing. They were really nice to them. They helped the brother call his father in Switzerland. They gave the sister-in-law some medication to calm her down. The next day, Ranger Blank spent almost the entire day with the couple, helping them make arrangements for their trip back to Switzerland, as well as for the cremation of Brigitte's remains. Does that just mean they gave the sister-in-law, like, drugs? Yeah. I mean, I think from what I understood, she was just like beside herself with grief. So they gave her like probably like some Xanax or something to calm her down. Gotcha. So on August 3rd, the couple flew from Billings, Montana to Switzerland with Brigida's ashes. Uh, it had only been four days since they separated from Brigida at the Stringent Creek Junction. It's pretty crazy to think about like that, you know, you're having the trip of your lifetime with your family member 
and you separate for them just to have one night alone camping. And four days later, you're on a plane back to Switzerland with their ashes sitting next to you. Like life is crazy. It can change really quickly. And that's just, it's crazy to think that to have that happen and have it a grizzly bear be responsible. Put that on the shirt. Life's crazy. Life is crazy. You don't know what's going to happen. And grizzly bear might eat you. We'll we'll make an acronym (laughs) out of that. That'll be a little more wieldy, I think. (laughs) All right. So... Trapping began in earnest. Back in the park, they're starting to hunt for these bears. During the entire ordeal, one of my current supervisors, Kerry Gunther, he was doing his master's project at the time on Pelican Cone, which is a peak in the middle of the valley. He was observing grizzly bears, and he had actually seen Brigida and her family when they separated on July 30th. Like, he saw them through his binoculars. And during the days following the incident, he and some of the park rangers were tasked for looking for bears. So he spotted three different groups. This is all personal communication from him. He saw one one female with a cub, a group of two sub-adults, and then a really large, dark-colored, silver-tipped male. Oh, that's my guess. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mike, who do you got your money on? Uh, I still think it's the brother and sister. <laughs> if you had to pick a bear, we've got a female with a cub, two sub-adults, and then a large, a large silver-tipped male. Uh, the sub-adult. It doesn't seem like a mother cub kind of protection thing going on. There's no cub prints found. That we and I will of. say, those sub-adults were their own groups. Like, they weren't traveling with each other necessarily, but they were kind of spending time in okay. the same area. Right. Mm. Okay. All of these bears had conflict backgrounds. They had all created some kind of conflict in the park, whether oh, wow. that's raiding they the campsite records. or, yep, they all have records. Exactly. <laughs> so trapping starts, traps are placed all over the area. And for 10 days, the traps are baited and monitored, but all of these bears somehow elude capture. Because there's no way to positively test which bear had been responsible for the killing, the plan was just to euthanize any bears that they caught in the area. Uh-huh. Um Yeah, it is unfortunate, but we're going to talk about that a little bit too. About a week later, a dark, large male grizzly was caught after causing property damage at the Fishing Bridge campground, so likely that large silver-tipped male. But enough evidence had been gathered from like her death that they were almost certain that a lighter-colored sub-adult grizzly was responsible. And that's mostly due to that canine size. The canines weren't big enough for it to be an adult bear. And then they, most of the bear hair they had collected was kind of blonder. So they were pretty certain it was a lighter colored sub-adult. So because of that, they thought that this male that they had caught wasn't the culprit of this yeah. murder. Yeah. Um, and they still ended up euthanizing that bear because he had been raiding campsites and stuff. But Jeff, you didn't pick the right bear. I'm sorry. Ugh. Mike, you probably did. It was probably one of those sub-adults. So they did catch several other bears. None of them fit the bill for the bear that killed Brigida. And it's widely considered that the bear that killed her was never caught. A few weeks later, this is something else I learned from my supervisor. A bear actually pulled a kid out of his tent at Grant Village. It pulled him in his sleeping bag out, just like it did with Brigida. And at first the bear had this kid by the shoulder and was dragging him off. But then it like readjusted its bite. And when it readjusted, it just got sleeping bag. And the kid managed to sleep out and run back to safety. Oh, my God. Um, no way. He sleeped yeah. out? That's, he just that fell asleep and <laughs> slipped right out? It's <laughs> <Yeah. Some> a <laughs> dreamwalker. He slipped out. This is a lot of information he for this one. He slept right out of that. He slept out. <laughs> the bear put him in a sleeper hold and he just... That's how I deal with all of my problems. Got away. <laughs> 
Yeah, that is a good way to escape your problems. That bear was also never caught, but that is a really likely candidate for the bear that killed Brigida. It's like the Zodiac killer of Yellowstone. Yeah, it kind of is. Oh, so they might not have got the bear. They don't think they ever did. I talked to Kerry about that, and he doesn't think they ever caught that bear. Still at large. Uh, It would be dead by now. But Brigida was found to have done nothing wrong. So I do want to talk about that a little bit. She was, she, for the time, especially not having bear spray in 84, or at least it not being like widespread and used, she did do a lot of things right. She hung her food. She was really careful about scents, but she did do one thing wrong. And the main thing that she did wrong is that she was camping alone in Yellowstone's backcountry. And that's a really big risk, especially if you have no experience with bears, which she had little to no experience with bears. So I would never recommend that. I just, it, it is a really wild experience. And I think if you do have a lot of bear experience, it's an okay thing to do, but you really are taking a much bigger risk if you're on your own. Timothy Treadwell did it for like four years. He did it for 13 years, but he did it with some really tame bears and he did it with a lot of bear experience too. Yeah. But, but he ended up dying too. He got eaten by bears. Oh, <laughs> so yes, that's maybe that. not yeah. the best example. <laughs> um A thing that I wanted to bring up to this, and this is something that Tom Smith taught me, my mentor, and isn't really widely disseminated as like bear information, bear safety information, but I think it's a really good idea. If you're camping in a place where there's a decent chance of running into a grizzly bear, if you're in like a backcountry place where there's lots of grizzlies, a really good idea is to bring multiple tents if you're with like a group of two or more. A decoy? Um, Well, no, it's more that like... If one person's in a tent and a bear collapses that tent and is going for that person, if you're both in that tent, it's really hard then to like get your bear spray mm-hmm. and to respond to that bear because both of you had a tent collapsed in on you. But if you're in another tent and you hear that happening to your friend, you can then get your bear spray and go spray that bear before it kills your friend. Um, so it's not as fun to like sleep in separate tents. It's, you know, it's more stuff that you have to pack in, but it is kind of an interesting safety tip that I'd recommend for people in like really bear dense habitat. Here's an idea. How about you just bring like 30 tents and set them all up? <laughs> then oh, that's like, going to be game. my, what would Jeff and Mike oh, do? Yeah. Cause then well, you could just like set up little like fake bodies like the hobbits do yeah. in fellowship of the yeah. ring. Yeah. Or yeah. like whenever there's like the people with the power to like duplicate themselves and you don't know which one the real one is. Oh, yeah. It's like that yeah. where you got like so many tents. You know what? In Fellowship of the Ring, I always just pictured the ring race like looking over and seeing them like watching them yeah. through the window and being <laughs> like, oh, there they are. And then going over there and killing them. Um, anyway, I, I feel like they should have gotten further away than just like the no, in no. across the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so... I would say that's like a really good safety tip. Another one is sleeping with your bear spray, like knowing exactly where it is. Because if a bear does come into your campsite, you don't know when you're going to wake up. You might not wake up until it's actually collapsing your tent or pulling you out of the tent. So you need to be quick to get to your bear spray. Uh, The other things that are really important for this story, food storage. You want to do like what Brigida did. You want to get your food away from your campsite at least 10 feet up in the air and uh, you want to get rid of any kind of food sense that you might have as well. Um, sometimes if I don't have like a really good place to hang food, I'll just like put all my food in a backpack and just take it hundreds of yards away from my camp. And 
you're risking your food then, but like it's far enough away that the bear is going to get your food and not get you. I also sometimes advise that just because if you don't hang your food right, then you might have a bear that just spends the entire night trying to get your food out of a tree and you're kind of keeping a bear near your campsite then, which is something you also don't want to do. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about is something that was brought up in this story, which is menstruation. So uh, if you're a person who menstruates, I think sometimes you hear this this thing of like, oh, people on their period shouldn't be around bears or around wild animals. And we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but it's that's been studied. Um, and in 1991, a study by Lynn Rogers found that black bears showed no response to tampons used by people who were menstruating or any response to menstruation in general. Um, and then Kerry Gunther, my supervisor, did a review of all the available literature in 2009, and he showed that among all the existing attack data, there's no indication that menstruation played any part in grizzly bear attacks. And he concluded saying that the question of whether menstrual fluids or products attract bears is not completely answered, but there's no data showing that grizzly bears are overly attracted to menstrual odors more than any other odor. So it's there's no data showing that it affects you know, people and attacks or anything. But on that note, bears are curious. Any foreign odor can be really intriguing to them. So if you're a person who menstruates, even though the data shows that you're not at a higher risk, there are some things you can do to decrease any chance of bear encounter in a campsite. And these are recommendations that are included in that paper that Carrie Gunther wrote in 2009. So you can use pre-moistened and unscented cleaning towelettes. You should use internal tampons instead of an external pad. Um, don't bury used tampons. You're going to want to like roll them up in multiple Ziploc bags and pack them out with you. Um, place any used sanitary products in double Ziploc baggies, store them out of the reach of bears like you would do with your food. So don't like sleep with those in your tent or anything, and then use unscented sanitary and hygiene products whenever possible. So I think the main thing here is that if you're menstruating, you don't have a higher than average chance of bear attack. But the focus should really be on proper disposal of those products rather than like worrying about a bear like sniffing you while you're hiking or something. That's not going to happen. Just make sure you're like clean and that you get rid of your products like in the best way possible. That's really it. Okay, so that's pretty much it for the story. So let's do our ouchies, which is a rough one for ouchies. Oh, but yeah, I, I think for me, it really depends on when she was killed. But I think either way, I'm giving it a 10. Yeah. <laughs> 10 yeah. for me. Being killed by a grizzly bear. Again, me having seen animals now up close being killed by them. Uh, it's a terrible I'm going to give it an 8. Okay. Why? I just don't know enough. Yeah. Okay. I'm not convinced that she didn't die quick. And I'm hoping yeah. she did die quick. Yeah. I so think in my mind, she died quick and it's an 8. Okay. Yeah, optimistically for me, it's like a three, and the bear just like jumped on her tent and immediately killed her. But yeah, I think it was probably a ten, unfortunately, just from the stuff I learned. Okay, so that's it for the story. Um, thanks so much for paying attention, guys. This is a rough one, but we're gonna this book. And we want to. I want to say we made jokes because of how dumb like the people in the dingo episode were about investigating and everything. But obviously, we know. That 
is no devastating for her brother and that like yeah. they weren't on bad terms and that was all just like us messing around poking fun it's yeah it's glad yeah, you it's, said that it's devastating to them and like we want to respect how tragic it was to them for yeah. sure I do think like it's nice sometimes when these stories take place a while ago because there has been enough time, you know, for yeah, for us to look at it a little bit more clinically, but for me this was another emotional one. This is one yeah. where after reading it and really diving into it and talking to my boss about it and learning I think pretty much everything that's out there about this one. I really don't I I really don't think there's anything that I haven't read or learned about it that anyone besides Brigida knows. It it affected me. Like it's one that I'm going to think about for the rest of my life. Yeah. So. Brigida and the bear. Yeah, the bear knows. The bear too. knows. Yeah. The bear knows what it did. Yeah, you painted yeah. a pretty visceral picture, Wes. And right. well, I mean, sorry. That's why we're here, but also uh, yeah. stop. All right. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to get into our pop culture category, uh, and for this one, I just asked you guys what your favorite pop culture media that features Yellowstone might be. Uh, I'm going to go first. Mine's very vague. When I was a kid, we had a collection of Donald Duck cartoons, like old ones, um, and there was like in that collection, there was one where he like goes to Florida and he like steals eggs from an alligator somehow. And there's this whole, his hijinks with the alligator and, and Huey, Dewey and Louie are there too. Um, that was their names, right? His nephews or his kids yeah, or whatever that they sounds were. Right. Um, and then they go to Yellowstone and there's like a whole segment with the bear and him like at old faithful and like he, a rock plugs it up and stuff. And I just remember really liking it. It was like such a fun cartoon for me. And Donald Duck was always my favorite Disney character, so that's my favorite. You like the way hey, Donald Duck. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's, that's exactly what he sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> wish you guys could have seen Jeff's face as he did that. I wish I right. hadn't seen it. That's gonna stick with me. <laughs> I feel like, like I used to saw. be able to do Donald Duck, but that was that was pretty far from I can't it. Do it. I gotta practice. Yeah. All right. Maybe next time. I'll find my degree. Next time you I'll can... do a better Donald Duck. And I'll find my degree. <laughs> oh, you're already not getting there. Mike, what's your favorite media involving Yellowstone? So I missed the the first wave of the movie 2012, like the mania around that blockbuster of a film. Uh, somehow it just kind of passed me by. Somehow. I heard just it was the worst movie ever. And I was like, you know what? I like John Cusack. He's my guy. I like Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Um, and Con Air. John Hughes- Woody Harrelson Cusack. has a great role in that oh movie man too. and to my surprise to my pleasant surprise my favorite scene in that movie is when john cusack and woody harrelson are hanging out up in yellowstone and the volcano goes off and somehow yeah. i forget how they ex- they like drive over pieces of exploding land and stuff it's incredible yeah. so that's they drive like an pick. rv they yeah. drive an rv like <laughs> through the super volcano and somehow survive it's awesome but woody harrelson does what i would have done if I'm in Yellowstone and I see that the super volcano is going off, I'm just getting to the top of a hill to see it yeah. because I know I'm going to die. Um, Jeff, what's your favorite? Yeah, I had a hard time with this one because I feel like Yellowstone doesn't get a lot of like live action movies in the yeah. park, and they, like they don't let whenever it shows. There. Old Faithful, it's never actually Old Faithful. It's like some right. tiny geyser. So like, like that always me- bugs me. 
Meet the Deedles was like that. Yeah. It's like all filmed in Yellowstone, but not filmed There's in like Yellowstone. There's like a part in Parks and Rec where they go there. But I, also, I actually like the part in Parks and Rec where Andy and April go to the Grand Canyon. Okay. So that's my choice. That's right. a good pick. That doesn't count at all, but sure. Uh, I thought you were going to pick the show Yellowstone, but that's okay. Where they find the dinosaur? That might be yeah. mine. Where yeah. they blow up the di- the like old truck and there's just a perfect perfectly dinosaur. preserved dinosaur phone <laughs> underneath. And then that plot that's point goes show. nowhere. Yeah. Um, all right. So our next category is... Were Mike and Jeff paying attention? Oh, man, this is going to be bad. Today, I am going to promise a movie and a milkshake. No, that's too much. That's a lot of money. (laughs) I'm going to promise the next movie we see together, I'm going to pay for whoever wins. You're going to have to just remember that, but I will do it. All right? I want to go first. Okay. Jeff, you get to go first. That was a smart move. (laughs) <laughs> all right <laughs> jeff where yeah. what country was brigida from switzerland and there we we are allowing stealing good job score is one to zero mike how old was brigida i have no idea wes are you kidding me i said i said it i twice. can steal yeah wait i know hold it. on let wait you can, wait he can, he should guess first yeah i'm gonna let him guess but i'm telling you i know it okay uh three no <laughs> She was not three years old. 24. Dang it. She was 24 years old. Okay, 2-0. Jeff, how many people have been killed by grizzly bears in Yellowstone? Eight. Great. Good job. Uh, Mike, I just realized that I didn't (laughs) say the answer to this question. Oh, give it to me. I'm feeling confident. (laughs) No, you're not going to get this one otherwise. (laughs) Um, Let me come up with another one really quickly. Oh, shoot. Okay, Mike. Yes. Of when Brigida was killed, how many bears or groups of bears did they see that they thought could potentially be responsible for her death? Okay, so there was like the older grizzly the two adolescent or whatever you call them what do mm-hmm. you call them sub-adults. sub-adults sub-adults and then there was a mother and a cub i'll give that to you that i'll give it to you that was four groups so and you named them all okay okay that's three so, groups no there's two two sub-adults, sub-adults were different oh yeah yeah. yeah yeah okay so jeff currently the score is three to one your next question on the board is, baby come back name three of the four big food sources for yellowstone grizzly bears Okay, you got elk calves. Okay, I'm... Mm, that's not how I said it when I first said it, so I'm not going to give that to you just yet. You're going to have to be a little bit more specific. That, like, go, what? Elk, elk calves in the... How is that? Oh, like just meat? <laughs> sure, I'll give it to you. Ungulates. <laughs> Ungulates you is got, one of them. You got m- moths that they flip over and lick up. Are okay. you trying? Are you? <laughs> you got to name three. Of, you got to name three of the four. So you, you have don't two. want me to name you like, have elk, the types of food. You have ungulates and you have moths. There's four big food sources that they have. So they eat cutthroat fish and then okay. they eat nuts out of trees. Pi- okay. Is it white white, white pine bark. nuts? Yeah. White bark right. nuts. Are I'm you, gonna give it to you, but that was a stretch. The grass. They eat tons of grass. Ungulates. Vegetation. Ungulates. Moths. White bark pine nuts 
and cutthroat trout are their four big ones. He got it. I said he got pine it. nut. I know. He said you got cutthroat it. fish. That doesn't count. <laughs> Zero points. He, also, he gets <laughs> right. minus three points. So it's four. Right now, it's four to one. Mike, over the last few decades, on average, how many people per year are injured by bears in Yellowstone? One. Correct. Two to four. Jeff, what was the campsite number that Brigida ended up being killed in? Just the number, not the letter? All of it. You just said number. Well, that's, I mean, it's that's what they 34. use. The camps- no. Mike, would you like to try and steal that? Yeah. A T-1000. No. 5W1. <laughs> Mike, what? how many total species in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem do grizzlies eat? Uh, 5,000. 500. <laughs> Jeff, do you want to try and steal? Wait, say it again. How many total species in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem do grizzlies eat? What does that mean? Species, species of, of plants, animal, fungi, and fish. <laughs> How many total species? I said this. Like bison, elk. Every everything combined. Plants, invertebrates, nuts. Everything. Are the nuts yep. a species? Yes. <laughs> uh, do you need me to clarify it anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Mike said five hundred and Beatles? he's wrong. I don't remember what Mike said, but he was way off. <laughs> uh let's say you didn't say this one. Fifty two. I did say this one. It's 266. Okay. Bonus question. And whoever gets this, this is, I'm going to say this is Dumbledore rules. The golden Whoever snitch. gets this wins. Okay. What? <laughs> but Jeff, you get asked it first. Okay. How big was the gash that the bear tore in Brigida's tent? Uh, what was it? It's like one sixteenth of a bus. That's what I was going to guess. (laughs) I am not going to give that to you, Mike. Do you have an answer? 28 inches? 27 inches. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, you win. No. All right, sweet. Yeah, I I even gave Mike a chance for Gryffindor rules. All right. Um, That's that's one sixteenth of a bus. I don't know what you didn't give me that. (laughs) It's not. A bus would be like three feet long then. (laughs) <laughs> or like, no, it'd be like 10 feet long, even less than that. Okay. So our next category is the anaconda scale. So maybe a little bit inappropriate for this one. 16 inches or 27 inches. You're two right. Two feet. Two You're times right. 16. You're right. What's two times 16? Yeah. You're right. Um, right. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay. What would Mike and Jeff do? So Jeff, you already had a pretty good answer to this. Well, yeah, I, I'll change it up. Okay. I think I would actually want to try to set my tent up in like the bottom of the middle of the lake. She's at the lake. Right. Just set it up at the bottom of the lake with like some weights and then <laughs> okay. use like a scuba thing to go to bed. Okay. <laughs> right. Or a submarine. What? Yeah. Or a yeah. submarine. You'd be safe you in the sub. You can't pack in a submarine. Okay. But you're going to pack in all your scuba gear? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Maybe just a huge hose or like hey, Mike, a huge straw, like a giant bamboo put up straw to the surface. Yeah, yeah. there's okay. a lot of bamboo right. up in Yellowstone. That'd be a lot lighter. <laughs> yeah, and it would last a lot. A scuba tank is not going to last you very long, right? Mm. Um, although if you're sleeping, you're probably taking fewer breaths. Mike, what's your answer for this one? I would lure it into the super volcano. I think. Okay. <laughs> Underground. Uh, real answer is though. I mean, just don't go alone. I don't know. Three people more. I would just take a whole tour group with me. More if I ever bear bells. 
Yeah, <laughs> bigger, more and bigger <laughs> bear bells, I think. Yeah. I'll be honest, like, I... I know my way around bears about as well as anyone. I You know how to please them. <laughs> that's not what I meant. <laughs> and there are people that know their way better than me. Don't get me wrong. But I think I'm in the top percentage of people that knows their way around You're a grizzly bear. 10 and I in the world. I have bear spray. I have like a lot of knowledge. I wouldn't camp alone in Pelican Valley. I wouldn't do you it. You wouldn't? No. Well, if somebody's gonna give you a million dollars. Then I would for sure, without a doubt. <laughs> I'd do it for probably five hundred dollars. But I wouldn't so do it. So you would. Yeah. But I wouldn't do it if there weren't any kind of reward involved. Um, yeah. Well, maybe someone offered. We don't know that no one offered yeah, that, her that's that. That's true. But I don't. I do think like we have a lot more information about bear safety than they did in 84. I think. I don't think Brigida was dumb. She made a mistake. She shouldn't have done that alone. I don't think she fully understood the risk. But as far as what you actually should do, if you're ever in a campsite and you have a bear come into your tent or break into your tent, you have to fight back. That's not a situation where any kind of like playing dead or laying down or anything is going to help. You have to put up a fight and having a a deterrent is really going to make a huge difference in that fight. So bear spray, um, if you're camping in grizzly bear habitat, make sure you have bear spray in your tent. You know exactly where it is. You're ready to go with it. I can't remember. We had a story where someone like wrote a note and they had like an arrow pointing to their bear spray or something. I can't remember what it was, but they had a trick for knowing exactly where their bear spray was. Yeah. He put a gun on a napkin or something. Yeah. Is what you said? I can't remember. Mm. It was like it the was, older it was couple. The, it's the older couple in Alaska that got attacked in their campsite. Yeah. Just make sure you know where it is. If you do have multiple tents, split up into multiple tents so that if one tent gets collapsed, the other people can respond. And the most important thing is prevention Keep a clean campsite. Keep your food out of your campsite. Definitely keep it out of your tent. Cook away from your tents. Don't cook like right in your campsite. Cook at least 100 yards away. Just make sure you keep it as clean and as organized as possible. Those are my main tips. Maybe like some Christmas pajamas where it has like the bell sewed onto them. Yeah. So like that way if you're asleep and the bear grabs you, the bell starts jingling. Yeah, I don't think that would work. But that actually brings up a good point. Um, There's a couple other things you can do to prevent your campsite from being harassed by bears. And like one of them is they actually sell tents that are electrified. Um, Like the fly (laughs) of the tent itself is electrified. And then the easier thing is just like shock yourself every time you you go pee. Yeah. I mean, we've set one up before. Uh and Not then, where the tent fly was. Yeah. We set one up in Bryce, like our first I week there. Didn't. Okay, you might not have been there. But then another thing is an electric fence that's really easy I to did. set up and backpack. And you can set that up around your tent as well. And that works really well. Um, and then they also I have remember like, when we set those up and I just held it and it didn't affect me well, at all. Well, we were setting it up in like sand. But if you set it up in dirt, it, they work a lot better. Um, okay. And then... There are also some like little basic proximity alarms that you can get, like they're called critter getters, and you can set that up and it's just a laser alarm that if something breaks it, it makes a really loud noise, probably enough to scare off the bear, definitely enough to wake you up. But that's also an annoying one if like a deer or a squirrel or something trips it. So, Mm. but I do really recommend the electric fences. They work really well. Um, I would, I would fully camp alone in the Pelican Valley if I had an electric fence for my campsite and I'd feel very safe. Fully. Wow. Okay. Fully. Committed. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Okay. 
So moving on, uh, Jeff, do you got any listener questions for us? Yeah. Okay. From Ayana. This isn't specifically an animal question. That's fine. We love yeah, non-animal cool. questions, you know? Yeah. Hit us with whatever relationship. I, I would football. love to answer your relationship questions. Don't listen to them, though. But His answers. are any of you watching House of the Dragon? If you were a Targaryen and could have a dragon, what would you name it? So kind of is an animal question. Is this a patron question or a Yeah, Instagram? these are patrons. Okay. Um, hmm. I'd name it Trogdor. Trogdor? Yeah. <laughs> that's a good name. Super Volcano. Oh, that's... Man, how did I... Ooh. It was right there for me. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'd name mine Gilbert because our family had a long-standing tradition of the first grandson being named after the grandpa, and it got broken. So maybe he'd be happy if I named my dragon after <laughs> dragon. him. Yeah. Okay. From Jack. If you could enlarge any type of bug to the size of a horse and ride it as your steed in battle, which would you choose? Mike, I'm going to allow you to choose worm if you want to. Well, I, I was actually thinking before you stipulated like the condition that it has to be horse sized. I think it'd be cool to have those dune worms going around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Horse isn't quite as like big enough. What are the what are like shy halud? What yeah. do they call those again? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm picking a spider. Like I would want like a tarantula or something. I'm picking a praying mantis that's just Ooh, chopping that's heads. Pick. That's cool. I just think my spider is going to be like galloping and really fast. Yeah, until I chop your head off. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Mike? I'd pick a rhinoceros beetle and just like flip cars over and stuff. We're all picking the wrong animals. Really? Like a bee would be better because then you get to fly around. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. I'll pick pick my spider still though because it was my first answer. Well, I mean, a Hercules beetle is the best answer because yeah. they can fly and they, fly. they got like a rhino horn. That's yeah. true. It's a good answer. Yeah. Okay, from AJ, what's your all's favorite Far Side Animal cartoon comic strip? I just took a screenshot of mine. One of my favorites. Wow. I, there's so many to pick from and like his animal ones are always really good and a lot of his bear ones are really good but there's one and it's like a color one of all these people like running into the water like really scared looking behind them and then there's a shark in the water doing this and it's yelling bear 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 <laughs> and this shark was scaring them all into the water so yeah i love that, that one yeah, that's cool. i'm gonna yeah. go with that one too okay cool because i couldn't think of one even though i love the far side yeah. um the one where one gorilla is grooming another gorilla's back and it finds uh, Jane Goodall's hair and it accuses the other gorilla of cheating on her. I think oh, that yeah. one's just great. That is a good one. Uh, there's one other one where there's two boys and they're like tossing a cub bear up in the air and they're playing with it. And you see like the mama bear against the forest edge and the caption is and no one ever heard from the Anderson brothers again. <laughs> And I really like that one. Isn't the bear in that right. one just like massive and hulking on the yeah. horizon? I <laughs> yeah. love man, his the art style He's is so good. So good. Yeah. What's next? All right. From Instagram. So this one's from Jackie. Is Jessie there? She is. Yeah. You see her? Uh huh, I see her. We might want her to chime in on this one. Okay. We may need your opinion on this question. I want to know if horses can have crooked teeth. 
I've seen a million horse picks videos and they have scary human dentured looking teeth. Is it possible slash have you seen crooked or gap teeth horses? First Here. of all, who said horse teeth look perfect? They're so ugly. Well, they, but, but they they're all always look straight, like, big like dentures. And like straight. Yeah. They look like dentures. Uh, I feel like they could, I've never seen it. They're just, they're really gross teeth. Oh, we finally agree on okay. something, Jesse. <laughs> Mike says you guys finally agree I on something. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen crooked teeth? I've seen messed up teeth, but I haven't seen any that cross over. Okay. Huh. So like, no, what about British horses? Do you think they can have <laughs> crooked teeth? Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Way to alienate our audience. Uh, All right. I looked it up. I mean... We can do without one country. <laughs> yeah. Plus, they're all like the queen just died, so yeah, they're, they're they can't pay attention to us right now. Right? Yeah, they exactly. do really bad on where he has paying attention segment. They the, don't have the uh, the emotional bandwidth. There's a disease to that will give horses crooked teeth, but it's like really bad for them, and like it means the horse is like pretty sick. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So like they don't naturally get like crooked teeth. Okay. That's interesting. What's next? Okay, from Jimmy Spitz. Jimmy Spitz. <laughs> Jimmy Spitz. I'm pretty sure I said this mob- guy. A low-level mafioso. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fantasy football invite. I think he's in one of my leagues. Okay. Have you ever considered narrating audiobooks? Your voice is soothing. Who's that um, for? <laughs> Jeff. Oh, sorry. Jeff. For Jeff. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> for Jeff. Have you ever... I should, I, that was the important part. I just skipped. Um... No, well, I don't know. I feel like I'm really bad at reading out loud in general, but like I, I'll do anything for money. He'll so do it. Yeah. If someone, if someone wants to pay me to do it, I'll do it. If you're you know? okay with a third of the words not yeah. being the real words, <laughs> maybe if you did audiobook versions of like Doctor Seuss books, it'd work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, kids books. I think there's a future. Harry there. Potter. Yeah, I could do. I could get through a Harry Potter. There's some book, big I words think. in that book. Spelliamus. Yeah. Wand. <laughs> I mess that one up. I like how the first word that he tries to say says wrong. <laughs> I can't. What's the one? Spectro Patronus. There you go. <laughs> All right. See, there's why I have it. Um, from Madison Avenue Two. Have any of you gotten into a physical fight with someone? Was it your fault? Who won? Yeah, I've been in a few. Uh, never my fault. Mm. Me and Jeff were in one together with a group of ruffians. And there was like some longboarders. We won that fight. Who? Well, they weren't longboarders. We longboarded down a canyon. Right. And then our cousin like kind of picked a fight with one of them. And the guy left. And then he came back with like 11 people. And, and started, just started fighting our cousin, our cousin. Yeah. and he like threw him on the ground and then he stepped away. So we thought it was over and then he just like kicked him in the face. Yeah. So then I went and I punched him right in the face. And then and I, then I got him in a headlock and started punching him on the side of his face. <laughs> and then his friends pulled us off of him. And then they circled us and then somehow everything just stopped. And yeah. I don't well, know his what, friends, why there were, there was like 12 of them, and they pulled us off, and they were like, 
guys, chill, chill, chill. And I, like, no, because when one of I his friends like had his hands up to hit me, and then right, like, some it just ended. The, I don't. The know. one that pulled me off was saying that, and I thought I was about to die. Like mm-hmm. when I felt myself <laughs> getting pulled off, not going to win like, against oh, the crap. people. <laughs> yeah, that was our most memorable one, though. My other ones were pretty short. Um, I boxed a lot. I liked. I got it. Like I was bullied a lot in high school. I got into boxing and that kind of helped me become cool and like it's stupid but it's like so true to like there's like this kid who always picked on me and I boxed him once and like literally the next week we were like buds it's like I like gained his respect and I wasn't like a dork in his eyes so so kids go out there and fight your bullies yeah go be go get in a fight uh Mike uh, nothing of note. Just a like a fifth grader. When I was in second grade, he just threw me on the ground really hard. Yeah, <laughs> that's like honestly, <laughs> I yeah. I, fl- I flipped him off during a basketball game. I was a I was a rapscallion when I was little. I shouldn't have done that, and he got me for it. And I learned my lesson. The real Cole, the real Cole Herman, the real one. We got nice. the real one. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to – I'm not going to ask his question. I just want to – because I feel like he's more just telling us this because it's funny. But he had a dream about getting bit by a rattlesnake, and he knew what to do because he listens to the podcast. And then you want to ask counting if that we as a have life save. dreams yep. about getting attacked. But you've talked about that, with Like that every you week. Have them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> every week you have a dream about Pretty getting much. attacked? Yeah. Do you know what to do afterwards? Uh, it's usually like, like, like wolves chasing you around a kitchen table kind of thing where it's like, I can't escape, but mm. they also never get me. You just keep going in circles kind around of. the table. Mm, yeah. It's not, that was an example, but not what <laughs> yeah. actually. Like that who framed Roger Rabbit scene when he's just like going around the kitchen. Exactly. Okay, from Armel, what are your guilty pleasure movies? Mine is G.I. Jane. Mike? No, come on. Yours? No, please. Vigo pre-Lord of the Rings. That's like the best push-up scene in any movie ever. No way. Rocky one IV? one push-up? No. Nah, G.I. Jane's got it. What's a guilty pleasure movie of mine? Huh. Mine's probably The Lone Ranger. Yeah. I just love Wait, that Army she... Hammer, first of all. <laughs> you like that guy a lot. And then... And Johnny Depp. I know that it's problematic. That's a very People problematic were mad movie. that like Johnny Depp played a Native American, but I don't know. I just... I like the movie. The more movie than was most really, really entertaining for this. Yeah. Like without being so problematic, it would have been great. But yeah, I get it. That, that was an entertaining movie. I, Wait, so yeah. we, she didn't say pre Lord of the Rings? I thought that's what she said. No, she's said. saying uh, she likes Vigo in G.I. Jane okay. pre Lord of the Rings. Rings. Yeah. Oh. Um, Mike, you want to go? Yeah. Let sh- him keep thinking. The new point break was. No. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. Uh, this, I don't feel guilty. Well, this is going to be a little obstacle course I'm going to talk my way through. So people try to make me feel guilty sometimes when I tell them I really like musicals. And that in and of itself is not a guilty pleasure. But I really like the movie Grease. And I feel guilty about that. But okay. I urge anyone who hasn't seen it or hasn't seen it in a while just to watch like that opening Tell Me More, Summer Nights, whatever it's called. Just incredible stuff. Like every single little person in all of those scenes is doing something really funny and interesting. There's and little just... people in the scenes. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna skip the answer to that. I hate you so much. And just go into <laughs> mine. 
So <laughs> I mine, need to rewatch it now. I'm going to tell you my most recent one because I feel like I have a million guilty pleasure movies. But one that's a recent one, and this isn't a bad movie, but it's kind of a guilty pleasure movie for like a, a young man of my age is the movie Encanto, um, which oh, I haven't seen me it. and Jesse started watching it one night and I like wasn't into it at all and fell asleep and didn't enjoy it. And then once on my own, I just kind of put it on and then found myself getting really pulled into it and really enjoyed some of the songs in it. And like the little village that they created in Colombia was like, to me, my garden of Eden, like that's the place I'd want to live more than anywhere. I want to see that pink river in Colombia really bad. Yeah. So that's kind of a guilty pleasure of mine and it's not a bad movie, but it's just one that I probably shouldn't like. It's almost a good enough movie that that's not guilty. Yeah. But you know what I mean? All right. Okay. Ow. Um, Okay, next. Okay, uh, from Erino, Aaron, Orion, I don't know. There's two O's in there that's tripping me up. They want to know, how's your all's mental health? Hmm. You know, it's kind of, I love roller coasters. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a real roller coaster. I would say the same thing. So you got some ups and and downs. And Hmm. uh, when I'm down, I'm down, you know? Yeah. But when I'm up, I'm up. Yeah, I'm all over the place. Uh, I I will say it's been really fulfilling to me to like have so many fans of the podcast and just of us in general, and like I think that's like I don't know. It makes me really happy to like have Tooth and Claw like as a thing. So that's been helping me with my mental health. So if you're struggling with yours. Start an animal attack podcast with your friends. <laughs> I would say like a offshoot of that for me is like, for me, the most fulfilling part of this thing is that a lot of people are learning about wildlife and like gaining a deeper respect and appreciation for it. And that's been really good for me. I think that's like, for me, something that's helped a lot with, yeah, with like downtimes of being able to think about that and making a difference in that way has been really great. I Jeff never would have guessed I'd have four <laughs> fantasy leagues yeah. after playing by myself last year, you know? How's yours, Mike? How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Even keeled, flatlined for the most part. I never, I don't really ever get stressed about stuff, but I will say maybe this is adjacent to the question being asked, but like Wes was saying that I sometimes find myself thinking about like, like a lot of hubris goes into this line of thinking, but like, what is my legacy going to be? Like, what am I going to leave behind? Mm -hmm. And the fact that a small project that I've been a part of is like resulted in lives being saved. It's like, I could Mm -hmm. die happy now, you know, like I don't want to die, but I just feel like we've been able to do a lot of good. So yeah, that's a notch in the old feeling good belt. And we're probably helping some animals too. So quick conservation corner. Today, there's roughly 170 grizzly bears in Yellowstone, which is the question I was going to ask you, Mike, and I didn't get to. Mm. So there's roughly 170 grizzly bears in Yellowstone and about 1,000 in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. So the park itself has around 170. The total ecosystem probably has more than 1,000 at this point. In the early days of the park, there were really big open dumps where hundreds of bears would gather to feed on trash and human food. And pretty much every bear in the park used those dumps as a source of food. Um, So they were all food conditioned and people also fed bears directly out of their cars and stuff. And every year there would be dozens of minor injuries from bears and some major injuries too. 
When the dumps were closed in the 50s and 60s, all those food-conditioned bears had to find new sources of food, and a lot of bears ended up having to be killed because they were breaking into property. They were all problem bears, so they killed a lot of bears during that time, and that led to an all-time low number of grizzly bears in the ecosystem in the early 70s with about 130 bears. So now we have over 1,000 in the ecosystem, but back then there was only like in the low hundreds. Um, That being said, all those new bears were born into an ecosystem where they didn't have access to human food, and they also got increased protection from the Endangered Species Act, and that population began to rise. And today in the park, um, we have a really unique approach to bear conservation and bear management. Um, We have made sure that all food in the park is is, uh, secured, so whether that's in people's cars or in bear boxes. Uh, everyone has to secure their food. If you don't, you get written a ticket really quickly and they're big tickets. Um, and then we also do a combination of like hazing bears in developed areas on roadsides. We don't allow bears to be in places where they're likely to get into trouble. Um, that's a big part of my job is going out and pushing bears away from those areas. And it's led to a really astounding low number of conflict. So we get roughly 5 million visitors a year. And with 170 bears, you would expect a lot of conflict. And we average like one conflict per year and one injury per year. So it's a really low amount considering how many people come into the park. Um, It's kind of a miracle, actually. And a big part of that is because we haze the bears and we're so on top of it. So it is a really big conservation success story. And it's something I feel really lucky to have been able to be a part of so far over the last couple of years. All right. So how big are the tickets? It's like a few hundred dollars for leaving. Oh, out. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is um, it like the, so it's worth it when like someone wins a golf tournament, <laughs> they's huge checks. Yeah. Is they show like up with like a massive those? ticket. That's what I meant by big ticket. Yep. Um, all right. So we have talked about how in other episodes about how there's a lot of pressure on predators right now in the Intermountain West. Um, just the political climate and whatnot has led to, anti-predator viewpoints legislation right now is trying to be passed to remove the grizzly bears in the Yellowstone ecosystem from the endangered species list. Um, Technically they are recovered. I think we have more than enough bears to do that and to like start managing them the way we manage other animals. But because of those attitudes and like this hatred for predators right now among legislators, I don't think we should remove them from the endangered species act because I think they're going to treat them like wolves. Since a lot of those legislators are predators. Mm -hmm. That's true. A lot of them themselves are predators, so they should love predators. All right. So that's my conservation corner. Um, Our last category and one that's going to be a real slam dunk again is how much do we like this animal on a claw rating and then Jeff's arbitrary rating, which this one's not very arbitrary. Um, this is probably my favorite animal in the world. Uh, I love them so much. I care about them deeply. I think the, my life would be greatly reduced in quality if grizzly bears weren't part of it. So this is a, a 10 claw animal. If we had like a golden or platinum rating for our claws, this would be a 10 claw platinum animal for me. Yeah, this is a 10 claw for me. My number one overall. They just got everything. You know, they're cute, they're intimidating, they can be scary, they can Beautiful. be sweet. Yeah. They they're can funny. Dig holes, they can climb trees. Yep. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. what can't they do? That and that brings up something really quick. If you if this is your first time listening to a Grizzly episode on the podcast, if you go back and listen to some of our older ones, I'll get deeper into their specific biology. I didn't really do it for this one because we've done so many. But just so you know, we do have that in other episodes. I just did it. I just covered it. Yeah, Don't yeah that's true. Jeff it. just got off. Mm. Mike? I think traditionally I've given them a nine. I'm going to stick with it. They're cool. Okay. All right. Uh, 20th? 20th overall? That's not my That's not my shtick. No, that's that's not Jeff. Your thing. <laughs> but that's a good... Probably around there, if I'm being honest. All right. Okay, so you're leaving like top tens for ten class. Yeah, right. I don't. I, I don't hand them out all willy nilly like Wes does. This isn't willy nilly. It's for embarrassing. Me. This is my favorite animal. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks everyone so much for joining us. Hopefully, this wasn't too traumatic for you guys. Um, it's a good story. It I think there's a lot me. we can learn from it. And yeah, thanks for joining us, and we sure love you. Love you. If bye. you. Oh, I. Bye, guys. Plug. Nope. It's Jeff, it's over. Jeff, see you. <laughs> Jeff just did a really fun episode on fire ants and a really crazy fire ant story um, on our on our Patreon and our Apple Grizz Club. So if you're looking for more bonus content, that's a really fun one. Yeah. Uh, you should check it out because I had a really fun time on that episode. Right. Also with our Patreon, I just wanted to bring this up and our Grizz Club. Um, I have learned a lot about Yellowstone bear attacks recently, so I am going to kind of do a bonus to this episode next week for our next um, patron episode. I'm going to tell another really fun, well, this one wasn't fun, but I'm going to tell one that's more fun story more about fun. a bear attack in Yellowstone. It's a really interesting story. It's one that I kind of just wanted to give to our subscribers. So uh, if you're keen on hearing more about Yellowstone bear attacks uh, and you're not yet a subscriber, now would be a good time to do it. And you also get access to our entire catalog of, of subscriber material. So, And if you're not keen on hearing it and you are a subscriber, you should unsubscribe. Mm. Yeah, then just get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. At least mm. you guys all have a choice. I, I kind of have to be there. But you sold me on it, Wes. I'm excited. <laughs> okay. It's coming soon. Thanks, everyone. We sure love you. All right. All right. We'll, we'll see, see you later. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible, and if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday.